everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm recording on a Friday night, it is the start of October out here in Reykjavik, Iceland. It's dark, it is cold, the northern lights are back, and it is not the most temperate time of the year, but for some reason at this time of the year, every year when autumn rolls around, I feel like um, there's a part of me that is waking up a little bit somehow. It's hard to describe. I feel like I'm getting more alert. I feel like I'm getting into into my time. I'm not really much of a, a hot sun and summer guy. So the autumn and the winter really feels like uh, my time of year is rolling around again. And we are in the last quarter of the year now, so I think people's minds are generally starting to turn towards games of the year time. I certainly have been looking over the games that came out this year. There's been an awful lot of good stuff, and the good stuff just keeps coming out. Um, One of the games that I'm going to talk about this week is a game that was highly anticipated and has been very well regarded. It is Cocoon by Geometric Interactive, um, famously made by one of the gameplay designers of the game Inside and Limbo. And no doubt, very much like those games, it is a polished gem of a game. Um, That said, I had a very different reaction to it than a lot of people, so I'm looking forward to talking through the ins and outs of Cocoon today. So that's going to be the featured game of this episode, but before we get to that review, um, it's the start of the month, and the the Gaming in the Wild Discord community uh, communally maintain um, a spreadsheet of games that are coming out, games of interest. And it is another really stacked month. This year just keeps on churning out games that we all want to play. I feel like I've never had so many games lined up that I want to play um, at any moment, really. There's so much going on right now. Um, A couple of these are out already. So on the third of the month, the Lamplighters League uh, came to Game Pass. This is from the makers of Battletech and Shadowrun. Um, If you are a Game Pass fan, um, if you're a Game Pass subscriber, of course, we're all keeping an eye on what's out. So if you check your Game Pass feed right now, the Lamplighters League is already out. Um, also on the third came a game that I was quite curious about and I really want to try, actually. It's called Station to Station. Um, this is a, a puzzle game based on designing train tracks. So you are trying to design around environmental hazards and trying to get your train from A to B. Um, I think that's a game that I'm definitely going to be trying out, actually. Um, On the 5th, just this week, Assassin's Creed Mirage came out from Ubisoft, of course. Um, The reviews have been middling on this one. I have a colleague who is playing Assassin's Creed Mirage at work, and has had some quite nice things to say about it, actually. He said it is a um, a return to the original Assassin's Creed formula of stealth, um, of planning more than... um, the all-action open-world RPGs that Assassin's Creed has become. So I think if you are a a fan of those original Assassin's Creed games, um, Mirage is sounding like a good bet if you have a bit of that nostalgia. Also on the 5th, Front Mission 2 came out, a remake of an old tactical mech game by Square. I never played these ones first time around, but if you are a fan of Front Mission, um, they are releasing uh, remakes of those games, and they're coming out. So I would love to hear from people who have played them. Are they worth dipping into for newbies? And so out now was Wargroove 2. Um, this is a, ter- a retro-style turn-based... Um, I don't know how to describe this one. I didn't play the original Wargroove, uh, but from the trailer that I just watched, it looks like a turn-based tactics game of some kind. Um, That one is by Chucklefish, so if you're a Wargroove fan, the sequel is out. On the 6th, and so today as I am recording, 
The Pale Beyond comes to Switch. This is by Bellula Studios and published by a fellow traveller. Um, this one has had some good buzz, um, especially in the Discord. Um, Dovetail has been playing this one in the Gaming in the Wild Discord and it has a lot to say about it. Um, it's a, a polar exploration game in which you are stranded in the Arctic in the old days um, and you have to manage your crew, get food and make tough decisions. I'm very intrigued by this one. I'm definitely going to be playing it this winter. Um, on the 10th, Forza Motorsport comes out, the, the reboot of the original Forza series. And this is supposedly the more racing sim-style sibling of the very popular Forza Horizon series. Although, watching some of the reviews of it, reviewers have had to say that this edition of Forza Motorsport is still very playable um, for people that aren't all in on super sim simulated racing. You can change your car and it is based around circuits, so it's not open world and it doesn't have that festival thing going on um, that Forza Horizon has. But it does still seem accessible to um, non-sim racing fans. I'm definitely going to give it a try. I'm very curious to see how that one came out. Not least because it will be on Game Pass, so it's another uh, full-price Xbox exclusive game that Game Pass subscribers can try for free, or at least as part of their subscription. Um, on the 13th, the Batman Arkham Trilogy is coming to Switch. I never played these games, but I'm constantly being told by all kinds of people that they are worth trying. I think if I were to play the Batman games, it wouldn't be on Switch, because it looks like the visual appeal is a big pull for those games. The, uh, the darkness of Gotham City, the rain... The, uh, the neon towers and all of that sort of stuff. I am tempted to play them, but I think as they are often on sale on um, more powerful systems, it's not the place that I would choose to play them. Uh, but if you are primarily a Switch player, you will have the opportunity to play the Batman Arkham Trilogy as of the 13th. On the 16th, it's a big one. It's Alan Wake 2 by Remedy. This looks phenomenal. I'm very interested in this one. I, I'm not sure if it is coming to Game Pass. I will have to check, but... Um, I'm a big fan of Remedy. I'm on the record as as such. I like their brand of um, Lynchian oddness um, and creepy horror. Alan Wake 2 looks like it leans more into the uh, the Resident Evil 4 formula than the, the first Alan Wake game. Um, but Remedy are very, very good at telling stories, at making things weird, and um, they always seem to be leading the cutting edge. Um, I felt like Control was a very cutting-edge game and still is one of the best-looking games out there, so very curious to see what they do with Alan Wake 2 on the 16th. On the 20th, we have Slay the Princess. This is a real indie oddity. It was revealed at Ludo Naricon. It's a choice-driven psychological horror game uh, with a dating sim element, dramatic branching paths, light RPG elements, and as the press release says, hand-penciled art. Um, so if you're in the mood for a spooky indie game, Slay the Princess is on the 20th. Also on the 20th, we have Super Mario Bros. Wonder from Nintendo, um, the absolute opposite of a, a Halloween season game. Uh, but it looks great. It looks like they are really playing with the, uh, the 2D Mario formula. It looks like it has quite a psychedelic edge that we've maybe not seen before with Mario. Um, he seems to collect mushrooms and then go into his little dream world and experience a lot of wonder. So I'm, I'm very curious about that one too. Also on the 20th, a big Sony exclusive. I'm sure a lot of people are excited about this one. It is Spider-Man 2 by Insomniac. Um, I had a really good time with Miles Morales and I'm very curious to see where the reviews come down on this one. And rounding out the month, we have Cities Skylines 2 on the 24th. This is a game that I'm really glad is coming to Game Pass. It's not something that I would buy for full price, but I'm definitely curious to try it out. 
uh, very well regarded. And from what I hear, quite a development on the first game with all kinds of new buildings and uh, new mechanics in it. Um, so I'll be playing a bit of City Skylines 2. And then on the 31st, we have Jusant, I think you pronounce it, by Don't Nod. This is the climbing exploration puzzle game, uh, which is solely based around handholds and uh, ascending a cliffside, uh, getting past obstacles. That's a very interesting one. Love a traversal-based game. Um, and from what I've heard, people quite liked the demo that was in Steam Next Fest, so I'll be checking out Jusant as well on the 31st. So loads of good games to look forward to in the month ahead. Uh, but before we get into that review of Cocoon, I will briefly mention this is a Patreon-supported show. We have 50 patrons. We have a patron Discord where people chit-chat every day about games. Um, we have 10 bonus episodes that you get if you sign up to be a patron. Um, and you can do so for as little as a dollar a month to support this podcast. Um, it's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you would like to become a patron. A big thank you to all my existing patrons. And thank you to you if that's something you would consider. There is a link in the description of this podcast if you would like to go and check out the Patreon, see the benefits, and consider becoming a patron. Um, and with all of that said, let's move on to the featured game of this episode, Cocoon. So Cocoon is a game that has been in the offing for quite a while. We've seen quite a lot of it in different directs and so forth, but it came out just a week ago. It is developed by Geometric Interactive, famously headed up by Yeppe Carlson, the gameplay designer of Inside and Limbo, two very, very tight games. It is published by Annapurna Interactive. Um, How Long to Beat has this one at only 4.5 hours, so it's a very concise experience with 5.5 hours for completionists. Um, there is a little bit of backtracking available if you choose to do it. And this one has been very well received. It got a Metacritic score of 89, uh, with Polygon saying, Geometric has created an impossibility with Cocoon. It's a joyful, improbable experience that will leave you transformed. Um, Hardcore Gamer with the lowest score on record with a 7 out of 10. Um, so even they gave it a, a strong 7. And they said, it may not fully capitalise on the drawer of its premise, but satisfying puzzles and bosses and the simple pleasure of hopping into and out of different worlds lends lasting charm. And although the review that I'm about to give is going to be a lot more measured than perhaps either of those, um, I do find it hard to argue with um, it being a very polished and interesting, um, quite unique game in some ways. And the developers describe this one by saying, Cocoon takes you on an adventure across worlds within worlds. Master world-leaping mechanics and solve intricate puzzles to unravel a cosmic mystery. And I have to say of this one, Cocoon is an enigma. As a green-winged bug, we hop between dimensions, facing puzzles that are in turn intricate, ingenious, frustrating, and maddening. It's a slick, polished, and impressive game, but I found it also to be uneven, demanding, and vague. So this has been an interesting one, for sure. It's been um, a difficult playing experience for me. Um, sentiment on this one has been very, very high. Um, in the Discord, uh, the podcast Discord, folks have been saying that they absolutely love it. I think everyone loves it who has played it. Um, people have been saying that it is genre-defining, that it is an instant classic, a 10 out of 10. Um, I love that people are responding to it so well and having such a great time with it. 
but sadly for me, um, I wasn't one of them this time. I didn't end up finishing the game. I played about five hours of it and retired at 86% completion, so quite near the end. Um, it's Difficulty ramps up towards the end in a way that I found kind of hard to deal with. Um, and so I, I kind of wanted to finish it, but I ended up playing it uh, with a guide on one screen just out of frustration and fatigue of those puzzles in a way. So I had a very different experience of this one, but I do think that some of it was really fun. Um, and there are times where I was sailing through the puzzles. Um, and I would say that all of the boss fights are pretty fun. Um, but I often found the puzzles to be a little inscrutable. Um, I've talked about puzzle games before on this podcast. Um, I've talked about the way that puzzle games occupy a very specific space in gaming. Um, and the different minds of different people will respond to cues for puzzles and logical systems for puzzles in different ways. Um, I have certainly found that to be the case. For example, um, Superliminal um, is a game that I really admired, but I often hit walls with. It was like half the time you're sailing through it, and then occasionally you just hit a brick wall, um, and you are left just sitting in the game, just looking at everything again and again and again, and just not seeing the solution. Um, so that was one that I admired um, without loving, but I ended up having a good time with that one. I would say that in Superliminal, most of the time I could end up getting through the puzzle. Um, then again, we have The Pedestrian, another really cool puzzle game. This one I sailed through without issue. I think I never used a guide in it. It was like... It was like I was in mind meld with the people who were designing these puzzles. When they were putting down logic, I was picking it up and I was able to sail through it. And when a puzzle game is going well for you, it is a great feeling. It's really nice to be just confronted by these puzzles and to be feeling the pieces click into place in your mind, like the, the solutions are appearing before your eyes, like you have formed some kind of sixth sense that you really, really get it. And I had moments of that with Cocoon. I would say the the third world of, I think, five, um, I went through just in about half an hour and just sailed through it and was having a really good time. Other times it felt like I was stuck in first gear. You know that moment when you're trying to find a gear in a car and you just cannot find it. Um, that was the overriding sensation that I take away from my time with Cocoon. Um, but I think that I'm an outlier on this one. That is worth noting at the start of this review. Uh, most of the people who play it seem to really, really enjoy it. Um, I unfortunately was not one of them, but I'm going to be generous to the game. I think it is a very well-made, high-quality game. So I'm going to try and make this an even-handed review just from my perspective. And so I just wanted to say at the start that this is a review from my perspective. Um, but let's start at the start. The game begins when your character is born from a, a kind of organic pod and drops into a quite interesting world. It's not exactly low-poly, um, but it's low-poly adjacent. It's... Um, it's not trying to not be a video game, let's put it that way. You see a lot of straight edges, you see a lot of polygonal shapes. It's not trying to appear naturalistic. Um, it is a game that knows it is a game. Um, and I think that the art style is actually very, very good in this game. It's very, very clean. Um, we play this game in a top-down view. Um, and as this little green-winged bug, you can scuttle around from side to side. You have a button that is uh, interact. It is the only button that does anything. So it's a very, very simple game. It's almost like a mobile game in the control scheme. It's literally just move and interact. That's all you can do. Um, and that's all you need to do in this game. It reminded me a little bit of something like Monument Valley, um, not only in the simplicity of the control scheme, but in the deviousness of the puzzles and the uh, very strong art design that carries it along. 
So you're an anthropomorphic insect in this game. Yeah, your green metallic wings kind of make a cool chittering sound as you run. They seem to be metallic, at least that's what the soundscape was giving me. Um, and you're not exactly sure um, who you are in this world. You're not exactly sure where you are going in this world or why. Um, it is a game that really leaves a lot of space in it. Um, there is not a very heavy narrative at all, if there is a narrative at all. Um, and the only thing that you really do is move forward, um, solve puzzles, beat bosses, and you're headed somewhere. You don't know where, um, and you just see where the journey will take you. Um, in that sense, it did remind me a little of games like Inside and Journey. Um, they are concise, wordless, narrative indie games with very strong art design that carries you along. Um, both of those games imbue the player, though, with an immediate sense of purpose. Um, I think in Inside, we play as a child in a, a very desaturated, very hostile world. Um, there is a very foreboding sense of atmosphere in Inside. Um, and the child protagonist of Inside will die a lot of times in quite horrible ways on your way through that game. Um, and I think I formed an attachment to that character quite quickly as a result. There was... Um, a strong motivating factor of feeling protective of that character. Um, and as we moved through the world of Inside, the levels, um, and found out where we were going, there was this sense of unwinding horror and fascination and curiosity to see what this world held and what our destination was. Um, and the same can be said for Journey, even though the mood is very, very different. I would put Journey alongside uh, Cocoon in that way, but at the start of Journey, I remember that we see the mountaintop. If you've played Journey, you will remember it. There is a glowing mountaintop in the distance from the very start of the game. So we know that's our goal. We know we're going to try and get there. And along the way, we find remnants of culture, remnants of civilization, and spectral ancestors looking over us in dreams. So I was very clear on my destination, and I was very engaged immediately with the journey in both Inside and Journey in a way that I maybe was not in Cocoon. It's another very linear, wordless game. Um, but this one doesn't have a defined destination at the start of the game, which is quite bold in a way. Um, I think it's it's quite basic game design thinking to want to give the player meaning and motivation. Cocoon does not try to do that. Um, it's something that turned me off a little at times, but I do think that it is quite a bold decision for this game to take. And I have spoken to people who felt like the fascination of the puzzles and the art design of this world uh, was enough for them. Um, they didn't find themselves questioning what they were doing, and in fact were quite happy to proceed along the path um, and had enough curiosity in them to just keep on going. Um, but if you are struggling with the puzzles the way that I did, I think that the lack of a narrative thread had a bit of a knock-on effect in that when the going got really tough, um, it wasn't like I felt connected to the character. It wasn't like I felt invested in the journey. And so if you're stuck, I think it became quite easy for me at least to, uh, to put the controller down and walk away without that, um, that curiosity and that drive forward that the other games have. But I will say that the game gets a lot right as well, straight off the bat. The atmosphere of this game is very strong. Um, it's quite dreamy. It's a little hallucinatory even. And um, it does feel like this edge of sleep vision in a way. Um, there are some very nice touches in there visually. 
Um, as you walk through this world, if you walk through plants, they will respond to you as you pass by, whether by glowing or shifting or seeming to look at you in some way. Um, there are lots of those kind of nice visual flourishes. Um, there is a sense of stillness in this world. Um, it has a, a pregnant with meaning and possibility kind of feel to it, um, of something being about to happen. Um, I really did like the atmosphere of it. Um, and the world that you're in seems like a mixture of the mechanical and natural. Um, there are plants, there's sand and soil, um, but there are also structures like pipes and concrete bridges, switches and gates and machinery um, that are built into this strange nature. Um, in that sense, it also reminded me a little bit of a game called Scorn. Um, I wrote this down in my notes um, as I was playing the game, and then I listened to the MinMax podcast, um, um, a gaming podcast that I really enjoy. And Jacob Geller, one of the hosts of that show, and a, a great video game YouTube essayist, also invoked Scorn. So it's kind of interesting in that it's similarly esoteric. Um, that's a first-person puzzle game in which you're interacting with very fleshy HR Giga-style machinery without knowing what it's for, in a way. So in Scorn, you are in this big world that is built in a purpose that you don't fully understand and cannot fully understand. And you're not given the information to understand what you're looking at, really. So it's all vibe and no plot. Um, and Cocoon is very much like that, too. But the mechanics in this game are really the selling point of it, I think. Um, Cocoon is about orbs. It's a classic puzzle game trope, but orbs are used very differently in Cocoon. You get orbs of different colours, and the twist here is that every orb that your little beetle can carry around has two uses. Um, first of all, they have environmental effects. They have different environmental effects. So say you have a green, a, a red, and a purple. Um, the green orb might let you raise and lower platforms to allow you to proceed if you're carrying it. If you're carrying the red orb, you might be able to make a bridge appear beneath your feet. Um, so if you walk to a a bridge-like structure with no actual deck on it. Um, if you are carrying that orange orb, then the bridge will appear and you can cross. If you are not, then you are stuck. And so you have to juggle these orbs. You have to be carrying the right one to make the environment allow you to pass. But there's another twist to it too, because the second use of these orbs is that each one contains a world. And if you set down an orb at a set spot, you can dive into it and find yourself in another level completely. Um, and orbs also can be carried into orbs. So if you carry the green orb, it has a world within it. If you carry that green orb into the red orb, then you have a world within a world, and you can dive and rise through the different layers of reality that you are creating by the way that you order these orbs. And sometimes you do have to use that in puzzle mechanics. You might have to carry one orb that has two others inside of it, to then extract them when you've reached the next puzzle and use them in that puzzle. So you're juggling realities in a really cool way. Um, it's a very ingenious puzzle mechanic and it is very unique to this game. I would also remark that it's very visually cool when you dive in and out of orbs. If you set one down on its stand and then dive into it, 
your bug kind of swirls into it and then you snap into another world. It's a very, very cool visual effect. I think it uses the the SSD capabilities of modern consoles, a little bit like the Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart game, where you're pulling yourself through realities. Um, this fast-loading hard drive can allow you to just snap into entire other levels. They load instantly. Um, it looks really, really cool. Um, carrying orbs within orbs is a layered, mind-bending puzzle logic um, that I haven't quite seen before. So that is the the unique puzzle mechanic of the game. Um, it feels almost MC Escherish, like it's an impossibility of worlds within worlds within worlds. Um, so puzzles that involve skipping between these layered worlds, carrying a world within another world so that you can access it. Um, these are the best puzzles in the game. There are also the physical puzzles where you're just literally using an orb to um, execute a puzzle solution. Um, these felt a little more familiar. Uh, you're using platforms that raise and lower. You're using switches. You're uh, using lasers and bouncing them off of stuff. Um, that's all more familiar puzzle game logic. So there is a mixture. There is the kind of the meta puzzles um, and the, the pure physical puzzles that you will have seen before. And what exactly makes puzzles good or how people respond to them from their different perspectives, how people read the cues and how well puzzles work is quite a difficult thing to talk about actually in quite an interesting way. Um, but I'm going to try. So a lot of times during puzzles in Cocoon, um, I found myself trying to visualize many, many different elements at the same time. Um, in a way that reminded me of those those um, like math questions, where the question might be something like, if someone is at Nottingham train station and they leave eastbound and there are 20 people on the train and seven stops and they're going 55 miles an hour and another train leaves from Wolverhampton going eastbound and there are 16 passengers and there are five minutes between stops. Um, that kind of question... Um, that kind of math question is something that I've always struggled with, to be honest with you. Um, I find when I have to hold that much different information in my head and relay it all together, um, it will blur into one and I will find myself a little lost. Um, I think other people enjoy that process of untangling all of that data and streaming it and combining it to end up with a solution. And towards the end of Cocoon, um, the puzzles are very much like that. Um, I've been moaning about this a lot in the Discord, and um, the people in the Gaming in the Wild Discord have been very, very patient with me as I've been uh, venting about it, basically. Um, but patron member ChipDip18 said something interesting just now. They said that, I agree that holding a lot of info in your mind and also visualizing a lot of puzzle pieces that are off-screen simultaneously uh, really strains your brain. That's not something that I had considered, but it is true that in a lot of puzzle games, the elements that you need will be in front of you, so you can see them all, and you can kind of conceive of piecing them together in different ways. Um, some of the most difficult puzzles that tripped me up in Cocoon uh, were definitely multi-part puzzles with off-screen elements. Again, like a Scorn, I will invoke that game again. So I will have passed a puzzle, be on to the next part of it, um, and at the back of my brain I've already forgotten about the last one. Um, it's gone, it's been jettisoned, and I'm looking at what is in front of me, and maybe I don't realise that some element of the last puzzle is affecting some element of the puzzle that I'm looking at now. For example, if I've left a lever that I think I'm finished with, in my mind, um, to the right, 
and I'm trying as hard as I can to crack what is in front of me, I might not realize that that lever that was in the last puzzle in my mind needed to be at the left for me to finish the puzzle that I'm on. So there was a lot of stuff like that where there were simple cues that I had just somehow missed um, and that the, the language of the game, the puzzle language, the logic that it is teaching you, the interconnectedness of different elements had not quite translated to me in a way that I could really get. I will say again um, that I am an outlier in this game and that a lot of people have found the puzzles to be elegant is a word that I've seen used a lot of times, um, intuitive I've seen used a lot of times. So it seems like for a lot of people uh, piecing together these bits of info works really well. Uh, for me it was just a tough, tough time. Um, but one of my favourite things about the game was actually the bosses. Um, you will occasionally come up against a boss. Um, you have to get a, an orb from them that will give you a new ability. Um, and the boss fights are really, really cool in this game. Um, I think I faced four. Um, I think maybe there are five in total. Um, they are insect-like. They are all based on different insects or different strange creatures. Um, and you will use the skills that you have learned in the world that leads up to a boss uh, to beat that boss. So each one uses different mechanics. It will have um, an on-screen uh, arena that fills the screen, but you have to employ different mechanics, different techniques like uh, teleporting or uh, shooting a laser or bouncing around in an interesting way um, to defeat these bosses. Um, they are similar in format in that way, but the attacks and strategies that you need to avoid their attacks and to take them out um, is, first of all, a puzzle to be solved, um, and second of all, you have to execute it. So you'll spend a little bit of time figuring out the movements of that boss, like one or two runs you'll die probably, and then um, you'll figure it out and you just have to execute what you've learned. So I think the bosses in this game were really cool and they were a high point. Um, also, a lot has been said about this, how this game eases you along the critical path and um, without you really noticing that you are following a route. So you go in the direction that feels right and it turns out to be the right direction. Um, the developers of the game have been tweeting out some of their strategies for helping players to visualize where they should be going. Um, and I did notice that whilst I was playing, actually. I did notice that I was kind of bumbling along, is how it felt, uh, but somehow ending up where I needed to go. Um, and this has been quoted as a big success for the game, um, in that people do go where they need to go. But whilst I was playing, um, I think I, it bothered me a little bit. I felt like, you know when you're in a Metroidvania like Ori or Hollow Knight and you're faced with a junction and you know that one way is the critical path forward and one way is going to lead you to some kind of digression or some kind of secret. And so you have to choose one. You have to decide whether it's the right one. If it is the critical path, then maybe you go back and explore the other fork in order to find out if there is a secret there. In Cocoon, you often can't go back, so you pick one path of the fork. It does often turn out to be the right one, which is a victory for visual signposting and guessing where you're going to funnel the player, but it also led to this, this lingering, discomforting sense of me not really knowing if I was headed in the right direction and yet still finding stuff to do. So I think I spent the first few hours of this game uh, bumbling forwards and being successfully funneled but not enjoying the process of being successfully funneled um, because I wasn't sure if I was heading in the right direction or if I was playing right. Um, so that was an interesting one too. It's another interesting aspect of Cocoon.
So to round off by going through some of the high points and low points of this game, from my point of view at least, um, I would say that the good points start with the presentation. Um, it's a very aesthetic feeling experience. It's a dreamy color palette um, that can be dusty or muted or dark or foggy or bright or kind of supernatural. Um, I really enjoyed that part of it. It looks great. I love the art design. It's an interesting looking world. I would also say, and I, I can't overstate this one, this game is a technical showpiece. Um, it is flawless. It is bug free. It is super smooth. I think it is 60 FPS, maybe more. Um, it was one of the smoothest looking games that I've ever played. It has these seamless transitions where you're bouncing into a world that is loading instantly, bouncing back out, and even just the basic scrolling um, felt incredibly smooth. And I'm not incredibly picky as a gamer about frame rates, but this game was so smooth that I can see that if you, if you were a gamer who had become accustomed to this level of presentation, to this slickness and smoothness and the visual pleasure of it, um, I can see how you could start to struggle with lesser games, but this one is the exception really. I think a lot of games that I play are 30 FPS and I'm fine with it, but it's really noticeable just how smooth, just how buttery, just how delightful uh, the visual presentation of Cocoon really is. Um, I did like about the art style as well. It has a graphical quality to it. There were moments where you see little geometric shapes that have almost been drawn onto the landscape. It almost looks like digital maquettes at times. Um, there are giant doors that you will pass through, and there's nothing I love more in a game than just a beautiful giant door with many, many hundreds of parts, and when you hit the button, they all slowly start to fold and click, and it falls down like a, a very complex machine, melts before your eyes, and a, a bridge rises up before you. There were some very, very, very satisfying visual moments in that sense too. Uh, almost like ASMR, I would say, watching those things take place. Um, I do think that the game went to lengths to introduce the language of its puzzles to you as well. I would say that it signposts the initial kinds of actions that you can take pretty well most of the time, and then it asks you to hold that information in your mind, and it asks you to use those actions in more complex ways. Um, I found that the solutions ultimately became a little too convoluted for me, um, but it did. I could see it doing it. I could see the game trying to proffer that to me, like this is how you do this kind of thing. Um, it was very clearly signposted. So the game did try to tutorialize wordlessly to you. Um, and in the early game, I think it did that quite well. I would also say that the jumping between worlds and the worlds inside worlds, uh, multiple orbs, multiverse of it all, uh, was very fresh feeling. Um, and again, the game doesn't rest on its laurels. It does introduce a new orb every level that gives you a new in-world physical attribute um, and the complexity of combining orbs and going inside of them uh, grows throughout the game. Uh, the bosses as well were a high point, very creative, very impressive. Each one is a puzzle to solve. Um, so figuring them out was satisfying and then executing the takedown was really satisfying as well. And as for the downsides of the game, in my eyes, I think I can speak for all of us when I say that being stuck in a puzzle game is not the most fun in the world. Of course you need resistance um, in a puzzle game, um, you have to have the logical structures that you have to figure out and crack to get on with it. Um, some games are 
address this in different ways. I think back to a game that I loved that was in the higher reaches of my games of the year list in um, two years ago, uh, Chicory. This was a game that has some pretty tricky puzzles in it, um, and the game knew they were tricky, and the game wanted you to have a good time. And so in Chicory, there was a built-in hint system. Um, it's kind of adorable, actually. Um, as Chicory, you can use a call box to call your mom. Your mom will give you like a loose guide. She'll say like, oh, to do that, you need to go to the northwest side of the map, to the uh, the square that has the red house. And then she's like, do you want to talk to your dad about it? And so if you're really, really stuck after that pointer, you can then talk to your dad, who will give you the solution. And say, yeah, first you turn the chimney left, and then you wave at the chicken. Um, and so the, the game knows that it's tricky, and it builds in and allows for that. It allows for uh, players needing help. Um, this game doesn't have that. It doesn't have anything like that. Um, there are in, in some games as well, um, I would say in a game like Dead Space, which is quite labyrinthine, sometimes you just need to know where to go. And you can hit a button, a laser will appear on the floor that guides you to your next destination. It's diegetic, it's graceful, and it leads you through the game. If you didn't grok where you're supposed to be exactly, it helps you along. Uh, Cocoon has none of that in it. It makes no such concession. If you're stuck, you're stuck, and that's how it is. Um, so you either have to exercise patience. Maybe if you're playing with someone else, you can turn the problem around in your mind together, or you can just leave it and come back with fresh eyes. Um, or you can look at a guide. So you have just a couple of options available to you. The game doesn't give much. It asks a lot, and it doesn't really give you much in the way of help. It gives you nothing in the way of help, really, uh, beyond that tutorialization that I mentioned. Um, so... I find myself going to YouTube walkthroughs occasionally in this game. Um, in the in the opening couple of levels, it was maybe like once or twice, but by the end, I was basically following a guide. And even then, it was just very confusing to me what I was supposed to be doing. Um, so I think that the obscurity of the puzzles in this game, I think that for me personally, um, I was not able to read the cues I was given, and so the puzzles appeared inscrutable. Maybe I needed a little more from the game, if you know what I mean. And my second main critique of the game is the narrative vagueness. I think that that compounded the puzzle problems for me, um, because as I have described, in Journey, I knew I was headed for that mountaintop. In Inside, I knew I wanted to keep this child protagonist alive and see where the story ended up. In Cocoon, um, I did not have any handholds. Whilst this game is glassy and smooth and shiny and polished in all of the best ways, it is also over-polished in some ways. So I was trying to find handholds and footholds to really get myself into this game, to pull myself into this game, um, to get that motivation to continue. Um, and I didn't feel like the game gave me any of that. So my, my motivation to continue shrank. Um, and so when the game got hard, it was very, very easy to put down the controller and just walk away. Um, and ultimately, that's what I ended up doing. I think at 86% of the game, I was just having such a miserable time uh, trudging through puzzles, trying to look at guides, just not grokking what I was supposed to be doing, um, that I just lost it completely with the game. I, I rage quit this game. It's the first game that I've rage quit in quite a while. Um, some reviews that I have seen said that by that end section of the game that I was stuck in, they felt that they were in lockstep with the puzzle logic and were, the ground was rising up to meet them. So it's just absolutely fascinating how different people can see these games in different ways. Uh, but just to round out this review, I'm going to end it with a slightly indulgent, slightly 
bordering on pretentious here conclusion, but it made me think of a play that I saw a long time ago called Art uh, by Yasmina Reza. And in this play, someone buys a beautiful painting that they consider to be beautiful. It is basically a white square of canvas. They hang it on their wall. They invite their friends around to marvel about the piece of art they have bought. Their friends look at it and they can't see anything at all. In fact, its very existence is troubling to them. Um, I had a little bit of that feeling when I was thinking about the the mixed critical response, the fact that so many people that I have share so much taste with um, see this game as a wonder. And I look at it and I see this this glassy, frustrating surface that that bothers me and frustrates me. It was a very, very interesting experience to go through a game that I disliked as much as Cocoon, whilst also admiring the craft of the game and fully understanding people that liked it much more than I do. So it reminded me of that white square. I think that ultimately Cocoon is um, a well-polished, well-presented, well-regarded uh, piece of game art, but it's also something that I would never want to own. If this was a painting, I would never want it in my house, that's for sure. Um, so that's my complicated reaction to Cocoon. <laughs> So I hope that you guys enjoyed that review of Cocoon. Um, as someone who consumes a lot of games media, I have to say that listening to someone um, critique harshly a game that I have really enjoyed is one of my least favourite things to do. I tend to end up disagreeing with the person who is speaking, um, but I hope that you found that a balanced review at least. Um, it was a tough one to review, made a lot of notes on that one. A big thank you to all of my Discord patrons. I've been raging about this game and they've been very calm and patient with me as I have been yucking their yum on this one. Um, but there's a lot more to come, so I have a few games lined up. I'm actually going to travel to Tokyo at the end of this month. I'm going on a two-week holiday, um, and so I'm going to try and get a bunch of podcasts in the can before I leave. As it is spooky season, I'm going to try and do Under the Waves, which is a creepy game about um, a sad diver who is living beneath the waves and is having strange dreams and strange events taking place. I've already started that game and I'm having a really good time with it, so I'm going to try and knock that one out this weekend. I'm also about halfway through the game Dead Space. I've been playing it for a while and really, really liking it, so I'm going to try and review Dead Space this month too. Uh, but if the podcast drops off your feed over the next couple of weeks, that's the reason why. It's just because I'm on holiday, so uh, bear in mind that if there's a gap in the schedule, uh, the podcast will be coming back as normal soon after. And obviously Tokyo is a great video game city, the great video game city. Um, so I'm going to be going to Akihabara Electric Town. I'm going to be going to the Nintendo store. I'm going to have so much fun stuff to talk about when I get back. So um, that's a couple of weeks away anyway. In the meantime, please do drop me a line. Let me know what you thought of Cocoon. Let me know what you thought of this review. I'm Gaming in the Wild on all social media. You can also email me at johnisgaminginthewild at gmail.com. And you're welcome to become a patron and support the podcast too at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. So that's it for this week. Please do take care of yourselves and each other. And bye-bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>